0: evening to you. Second Chronicles chapter 10 this evening. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. And if you just wave and get their attention, they will happily give you a Bible. I noticed Sandy was a little more aggressive than I am last week on pointing out those that are lifted hands. I thought it was actually great to each his own. Viva la difference. We remember as we're in Second Chronicles that it is a a bit of a repetition in terms of history that we have learned in First and Second Kings. But we also want to just take a moment to remember that God never repeats himself unnecessarily. He wasn't looking for filler to make the Bible a certain size to give it some kind of weight or authority. So this history was written to. A group of Jews, post-exilic Jews that were coming out of the Babylonian captivity. And there were certain truths that he knew that they needed to be reminded of. And so, again, as we turn to some of these, we turn to these chapters, some very familiar to us because of our recent being in First Kings. We want to put our little thinking cap on this evening and realize, ah, yes, but there are certain things that God repeats because we need to hear them over and over again and then allow them To wash over our lives once again. There is a part of me that wishes that every time I opened up the Bible, it was for the first time again. And just to have all of that truth and all that revelation hit me, that it would always have that kind of newness and that kind of freshness. Now, there's another side of me that doesn't want that because I have such a poor memory that I'm just now beginning to remember certain things in the Bible about the hundredth time through. So Uh, But there should we always want to allow it to have that kind of an effect. And so chapter 10 here in this history of the children of Israel for the post exilic Jews and Rehoboam uh, follows now this that we've just finished the death of Solomon, uh, King David's son. So just a generation away from King David. And Rehoboam, Solomon's son, went to Shechem. Now the king uh, over all of Israel, for all of Israel had gone to Shechem, in order to make him king. So he is. This is the Shechem is the site for his coronation service. The whole nation is going to make him the next king of Israel. So quite an event. And so it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it. He was in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. That Jeroboam returned from Egypt for they sent for him and called him now we remember that a prophet of the lord came to jeroboam uh, late in king solomon's reign solomon had introduced so much idolatry into the nation of israel god said i'm going to reject solomon and a part of his bloodline i'm going to tear 10 of the 12 tribes apart from him And then spoke to Jeroboam that you will become the king of these ten northern tribes. Uh, Solomon got word of that. Jeroboam being a very uh, uh, capable servant of Solomon. Solomon got word of this word from the Lord. began to persecute Jeroboam. Jeroboam fled into Egypt for his own safety. Now, following the death of Solomon and this new king coming on the scene, his son, he is sent for now. To represent the people in a very important request that they were going to make of the new king. And so Jeroboam and all Israel came at the coronation service and they spoke to Rehoboam saying, Your father made our yoke heavy and now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which he has put on us and we will serve you. Solomon had made Israel into really the glory of the ancient world at that time, the uh, the building projects that he had completed, uh, the uh, modernization and and beautification of Israel, the conquest of, of neighboring nations and bringing peace to all of that that area. Uh, It was uh, uh, Israel was kind of the envy of the ancient world at that particular point in time. But it hadn't come uh, without a cost. And what Solomon had done is he had taxed the people very, very heavily. And he had also kept people under a required kind of labor forces in order to accomplish these building projects that had become too burdensome for the people. Sometimes when you travel and you go and you see the Sphinx or you see uh, the pyramids or you see the great churches, the great, you know, ruins and monuments all around the world. And we can look at them and we get our pictures and we get our postcards and all. But most often those things were built off of the backs of the common man, off of the backs of, of poor people, their labor and uh, taxation, very often by food being taken out of their mouth to accomplish these great monuments to men's egos many times. And so they had been willing to put up with it up to this point in time. The strain was too great. Revolt was in the air over two issues. Number one, the taxation was too high. So they're asking, would you ease the taxation burden that is upon us? And number two. Would you ease this required labor uh, burden that you have placed upon us? Both of those requests were very legitimate, reasonable requests. They come to him. They don't threaten him in any kind of way. They make a request that any reasonable person would have sat down and, and recognized. Let's think about this a little bit. Maybe some changes need to occur. Now, Rehoboam is one of the greatest studies for how not to lead in all of the Bible, whether it's leading a family or leading in a marriage or leading in a ministry or leading in the world, certainly as a representative uh, of the Lord. And so any time you have this level of a uh, concentration of people who are rising up and politely trying to communicate something to you as a leader You really do have to step back and give that its due weight. Um, I know from my own life, uh, part of it is personality, but part of it is just trying to be like the Lord and learn a little bit from the Bible, too. But if I start to get, I will give due weight to anything somebody brings to me to make as a matter of prayer for change or for consideration. I will do, do that because that's what you're supposed to do. If I get a little bit of a cluster where two, three, four, five, something like this is happening and I get a sense that there's something that's moving here a little bit, then that really sends me back to seek the Lord and really think about what people are trying to say here in this situation. And it's a very um, uh, poor leader who doesn't recognize uh, that there can be blind spots that we all have. That there can be a collective wisdom that people have and sometimes they are smarter than any leader and and, and, uh, and oftentimes that they are and a wise leader recognizes that this is something to be valued. He doesn't and he's going to create a lot of problems for himself, but it's very commendable what they're asking of him. Now, behind the request that's being made and he would have understood it is also They're making this a condition for following him. So there is a um, there's some backbone to this statement. And the idea is these changes need to occur or we're not going to follow you. This is a condition Uh, that you need to. This is a condition for following you. This is something that you need to take serious. And so he said to them, come back to me after three days. So far, so good. If it stopped right there, we say hip, hip, hooray and move on to his son. But that's not what he does. He's going to take three days to consider the matter, which is a wise block of time to really give consideration to something. And uh, but he's going to fritter the Those three days away, I have what I call it works for me. I'm not saying that it's for everyone, but I have like a 48 hour rule for big things that come like this. Or maybe someone sends me a a mean letter or something like that. I try not to respond within 48 hours to keep all my bitterness and hatred in track in check until 48 hours later. And then I can vent all of it. I'm just kidding. Totally. But what what a person will do Within minutes or hours of something like this. And what we will do two days or three days later is the Holy Spirit has time to pull us back, to give us his perspectives, to calm us down, to make us realize almost always that there is some truth to what is being said here and maybe all truth. So it's wise to pull back and take some time. Again, he's not going to use the time. Uh, very wisely. Um, I am so thankful for so many things I didn't say. And so many letters that I didn't write under the 48 hour rule. Otherwise, I just would have to be eating crow uh, all of the time. And I don't get many letters like that anyway. They just leave the church quickly. And uh, say so that guy is absolutely Hopeless and incurable. Let's go find a real church to attend. So come back to me after three days, and the people departed. And then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon. So these are older men. They'd been through a lot of life. They'd seen a lot go on during the reign of Solomon. They'd seen good, they'd seen bad. And there was a lot of wisdom that was wrapped up in these men. And so he went to them first and he said, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, if you're kind to these people, and there's a concept, and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. You be a servant to them and and listen to their requests, their legitimate requests, and these people will become a servant to you forever. In other words, you will have a peaceful, nice, long reign over the entire uh, kingdom of Israel. And that was the counsel that, uh, that they gave Um, to him, just be a servant to them. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him, and he then went to the second group of counselors, and he consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. So his age, uh, probably his own uh, peers, uh, probably uh, younger men uh, in government, separated from the hardship of the taxes and the hardship of the slave labor. You know, kind of in an insulated place that sometimes government puts you where you get out of touch with a common man. So he goes to them for their counsel. Now, it's interesting in the whole thing here. He never consults God. Not once. And so he's he's going to that. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. But he doesn't go to God and ask for counsel. Do you know what God would have told him if he would have come and said, what do we do here? What do I do here in this situation? God would have said, be like Jesus. He would have given them the counsel of the older men. Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you become the servant of all. Jesus said concerning himself that he didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for uh, many. And so if the son of God, the Lord of glory is willing to humble himself and take that kind of place, that would have been the answer that would have been given to him if he had only prayed, but he didn't pray in this situation. So he didn't like really the answer that he got the first time, and he's looking for for a particular answer, and he consults the young men, and, and he asked them and said, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your Father has put on us. And then the young men who had grown up, With him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you uh, make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. You thought he was strong and heavy handed. You ain't seen nothing yet. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. You could, you can't put a worse answer together than what they just did. You think you're being taxed? You ain't seen taxes yet. You think you got, you're being put under heavy labor? You haven't seen heavy labor yet. And this was the counsel that they, uh, Uh, gave uh, to give to them. And so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had directed, saying, come back to me on the third day. And so they don't know how their request has been processed by uh, Rehoboam. And the king answered them roughly, yes. And King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I'll add to it. My father chastised you with whips, but I'll chastise you with scourges. So he's just doing this whole uh, macho thing. And he's, he's, he's not his father. He certainly isn't his grandfather. And he's just a big talker. But this is what he's doing. And he's trying to badger them and intimidate them into Uh, you know, what he thinks should be their proper place in the reign, And so the king did not listen to the people for the turn of events was from God. Our God reigns, we sang, that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he had spoken by the hand of Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That is that the kingdom would be divided and he would receive 10 of the 12 kingdoms. Now, when all of Israel saw, I mean, It's like when you've been poked in one eye, you don't need to be poked in the other eye. So this guy has just done the absolute worst thing because not only has he denied their request, but he's disrespected them. And and I have found that uh, people want leaders to lead in life and they want them to lead in the body of Christ. But they want to be treated respectfully, and that's important. And he disrespects them terribly here. And nobody likes that. And so when they saw that the king didn't listen to them, the people answered the king saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel. In other words, let's go home. Now see to your own house, O David. And they, in this way they proclaimed their independence from Judah, the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And so all Israel departed to their tents. And at this particular point in time, the nation of Israel was divided into two parts. The southern kingdom of Judah, made up of Judah and Benjamin. The northern kingdom of Israel made up of the other ten tribes. Now, the Bible does speak about, in, in, uh, for Christians, that there is a gift of leading. It's a spiritual gift that God gives uh, to some people. And uh, I think there's two ways that you can uh, spot somebody who has that, that gift. Number one, someone with a gift of leading is going to lead. And then number two, people will then follow that person where it is that they are leading. And if a leader does not have the character or the qualities or the respect for people, then what he's going to find is he thinks that he has a gift to lead and he's going to turn around and discover he or she that no one is following them. And so that's what he has now. He's done this whole bluster that he's you know, fee-fi-fo-fum deal. And, uh, and then he turns around and nobody's following him. And, uh, and they, in this way, voted related to his uh, leadership or his lack of leadership skills. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. And then King Rehoboam uh, sent Hadoram who was in charge of revenue, the tax collector, he sends him up into the north, into these ten tribes, to collect taxes on his behalf. But the children of Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. You just have, you have a revolt. The whole country has been divided over the issue of taxes. And you you haven't even left your coronation service and you dispatch a tax collector to go collect taxes in the north. Like I must have been trembling in his boots and they just killed him on the spot. And then King Rehoboam, realizing that he was in danger there in the area of Shechem, he mounted into his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. And so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. The great lesson here for our lives as Christians is the importance of how how careful we are about who we make our counselors in life and who we make our influencers in life. We should never make a decision without consulting the counselor independent of prayer. The kind of wisdom that we have access to in an instant in prayer and a God who promises to answer prayer and to give us the wisdom that we need. He's seeking wisdom here. And so the importance of that relationship with God, staying close in that relationship with God, current in that relationship, talking everything over with the Lord and then making sure that our lives are cut off. Because we're all influenced by who we make our counselors and our influencers. The Bible says, be not deceived whatsoever a man sows that he's also going to reap. If he sows uh, to the flesh, he's going to of the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he's going to reap everlasting life. So none of us, no matter how godly we are, can have an unweighted or an unhealthy uh, influence uh, ratio in our lives. The single most greatest and most important influence by far in every one of our lives should be the word of God, whether it's taken in reading on our own or listening to Bible studies or the word of God on tape or memorizing and meditating on the word of God to make this the single greatest influence in our life and then to cut off the bad influences. So it's a good thing for us to think about tonight. In terms of. What person, place or thing, because our culture is so technological that more and more our greatest influences in life are not other human beings in terms of face to face in the house relationships. The most influential people in our life are very often who we are loading up on our iPod or who it is that we have favorited on our uh, on our computer or on our phones and to just look at in our own minds here for a moment while we're sitting here and to think, where, where are the dials set on the radio? What channels on the TV are they set to? What websites do I go to uh, to be influenced by? What kind of music, what kind of uh, things are downloaded on the, uh, on the iPod? And then to ask myself, is this an influence for righteousness Will this help me make good decisions in life? Or is it an influence that is unhealthy for me? And even as we sit here in this place tonight to just be, as we talked about, prayed to the Lord tonight, that he would search us and burn away anything that's not a part of his desire for our lives and to make those kind of changes. I don't care how strong we are in our convictions. I don't care how mature we are in our faith. No one can make the mistake that Bohm does here consistently without ultimately marring our uh, testimony. And that's what he does. One decision used to be when I was a kid, things were a little bit different in the world. There were a little greater margins. You could make a mistake and you could even make a lot of mistakes and they wouldn't set your course for the rest of your life. I wish the world was like that more than Today than it is today, but today, and especially for those of you who are younger, you live in a world that's moving so fast and the decisions today can be one decision and it can alter the course of of your life and of our life. So the importance of being careful about whose influence we're under. Are you in a relationship tonight that you should not be in? This is a relationship that is continually drawing you towards sin or giving you a bad attitude about other people or whatever it might be, let's learn from Rehoboam tonight and make sure that we leave tonight in a healthy way in terms of who we are allowing to influence our lives because who, those things set our course in life. And we only have one life and we want it to be well, uh, well set and well determined. Chapter 11. Now, when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem... He assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. So he's made a dumb mistake here now and a poor decision. And now uh, rather than admitting that he's wrong, listen, um, when you've been put down, sit down. When you're wrong, you can't make a wrong right by gathering an army. The only way a person can make a wrong right is by saying, I was wrong there. And I confess that to you and I ask for your forgiveness. How can we start to rebuild this relationship now? That works in a marriage. That works between children and parents and parents and children. And it works between friends and in all relationships in life. And that's what he needed to do here. But he's his pride is still there. And now how dare they, uh, you know, you know, disrespect me in this way. And so now he's going to try and wrong this right uh, by a war. But the word of the Lord came to uh, Shemeiah, the son, a man of God, a prophet, and saying, speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah and to all Israel and Judah and Benjamin. This is what I want you to say to him. Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up to fight against your brethren. Let every man return to his house, for what's happened here is from me. And Rehoboam, to his credit, he obeys the word of the Lord here. Therefore, he obeyed the words of the Lord, and he turned back from attacking Jeroboam. And so Jeroboam dwelt in Jerusalem, and he built cities for defense in Judah. He built Bethlehem, Etom, Tekoa, Bethur, uh, Soko Adr, and in all those all the way down to Hebron, which are in Judah and Benjamin fortified cities. So his um, the the reality for him in the southern kingdom of Judah has changed. He no longer has a completely uh, friendly nation to his north. Now, Israel there's going to be hostility between the two lands. And so he realizes we have to set up set up a completely different defense structure. For the southern kingdom of Judah. So he sets uh, forward to do that. And he fortified the strongholds and he put captains in them, stores of food and oil and wine. And in every city he put shields and spears and he made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. And from all their territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel up in the north where Jeroboam was, they took their stand. With Rehoboam in the south for the Levites, they left their common lands and their possessions and they came to Judah and Jerusalem for Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. And so we remember Jeroboam as soon as he became king. I mean, he just went crazy. They talk about power going to your head. I mean, God had spoken to him and said, the reason I'm rejecting Solomon is because of his idolatry and his disobedience to the word of God. And as soon as he gets power, he introduces idolatry in the form of two golden calves and he begins to disobey God in every way he knows how to disobey God. And so, said power is a funny kind of thing. And so he established this whole religious system that was his own man-made deal and his own priesthood and all. we he got all these Levites and priests that are up in the north. They had common lands that had been given them according to the law of Moses, where they would serve for a month or two down in Jerusalem and then the rest of the year they would be in these cities and lands that had been set aside for them to live in with their families and all. And when they saw this apostasy overtaking the northern kingdom of Israel, they said, we've got to get out of here. And so with great conviction, at great expense to themselves, they leave their common lands, they leave their property, they leave everything to go back down to Jerusalem in Judah, where at least the Lord is being uh, Worshipped with some kind of fervency and some kind of accuracy. And so a great uh, conviction on their part. And so they then headed down and then uh, Jeroboam appointed for himself priest for the high places uh, for the demons. <laughs> That's that's what all idolatry is. It's funny. God calls the gods of the ancient world, you know, of Milcom and all these others. And he, he calls them abominations. But then he, he speaks of them as uh, being demonic, that there's, there are demons behind these things that people worship. And so this was a demonically influenced religious system and the calf idols which he had made, putting one in Dan and one in Bethel. And after the Levites left... Those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, they came down to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord their God uh, the Lord God of their fathers so there 's this great exodus of the righteous out of the northern kingdom of Israel down into the southern kingdom of judah and Because of this um, uh, uh, righteous immigration, they strengthened the kingdom of Judah. Judah was made stronger because of the arrival of this righteous population. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. And they made Solomon or Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong for three years because they walked in the way. Uh, of David and Solomon for three years. And so a a good influence, a strong influence for righteousness. So it just turns the whole you know, we read about it in a few verses in a few chapters and and all. But it was just created a major upheaval for all of the people in the land and the righteous in the land. And again, to their credit, they were willing to give up all that was necessary in order to follow God's call upon their lives and be an influence for the Lord as as the law of Moses had uh, called them to be. And then Rehoboam took for himself as wife uh, Mahalath, the daughter of uh, Jeremoth, the son of David, uh, and of uh, Abihail, the daughter of uh, Eliah, the son of Jesse, and she bore him children, uh, those three. And after her, he took uh, Ma'aka, the granddaughter of Absalom. She bore him those children. Now, Rehoboam loved, uh, I guess it's Ma'aka probably, the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all of his wives. Now, there's only one thing worse than marrying more than one wife. That's not a put down of wives, by the way. Uh, But that would be to engage in polygamy and then have a favorite. So this guy is not showing wisdom on any level at all. And, of course, we see his uh, polygamy here, absolutely a violation of the law of Moses, which called the kings not to multiply wives. But he did that because this is Rehoboam. He had no real heart. Uh, for the God. And so he loved her more than all of his wives and his concubines because he had 18 wives and 60 concubines. And so you look at that and you go, wow, that's that's crazy. And uh, now compared to his dad, that wasn't bad. A thousand wives and concubines. But he's a little poorer than his dad. And he begot 28 sons and 60 daughters as a result. And Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Maacah, his favorite, as chief to be leader among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. And he dealt wisely and he dispersed some of his sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city. And he gave them provisions in abundance. Uh, He also sought many wives for them, and so he is wise politically. He sends his sons out throughout all of the land, giving them key positions in these key cities again, to, as a means of holding on to power um, uh, in in the land. He would have done a, a lot better and been a lot wiser in, in in an attempt to hold on to power and to make the nation strong, rather than this kind of manipulations by drawing closer to the Lord, but. We see that now as we come into chapter uh, 12. Now it came to pass. It's not a pregnant pause. I'm just doing something up here. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. And so God is blessing him despite his um, his carnality. God is trying to be gracious to him. He is, after all, the ruler of of his people. And it's always kind of a probably, you know, only God can handle that kind of decision making where you've got this king who is doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. But he doesn't represent the whole population. You've got a lot of good people that are part of Uh, of Judah right now. And so how do we deal with this king without making the righteous pay the price for it and all? And so uh, his kingdom was established and he strengthened himself and God was... Gracious to do that. And as soon as he was established and strengthened, he then forsook the law of the Lord. And all of Israel then followed him in that. Now, forsaking the law of the Lord can only lead to problems. You can only go downhill from that. And it is interesting to notice how often the temptation is there related to the kings of the Old Testament. So it must be a temptation all of us face, too. And we do. That's why I bring it up. But the the temptation In a time of blessing uh, by God in our lives where he strengthens us, he establishes us, he's blessing our life and the temptation in those seasons, then to start to play fast and loose with God's commandments and then cease to obey his word. One of the things that we see about the nation of Israel, not just the kings, but the nation of Israel as a whole in its history One of the most difficult things, one of the the hardest seasons in their history involved how to live righteously and faithful to God during times of prosperity. When they were beaten down or or their sin had brought them to the bottom and they turned back to God and they had no one else or nothing else to believe in but God, no one else to hold on to but God, then, you know, this was... You know, when, when we're in that kind of a place in our lives, you don't have any other options but God because of where I've put myself. It's relatively easy to walk with God. There are no other choices. And all of a sudden God blesses us as we obey him. And I will say, and I, I, I dislike the prosperity doctrine. That is taught today that if we have enough faith or this or that, it'll always translate into a material prosperity or great wealth or we'll never get sick or these kind of things. That's nonsense because it goes way beyond what the scriptures prosper. But in general, there is a prosperity, a material prosperity that comes with being obedient to the Lord. I mean, I, I remember one fellow that uh, came to know the Lord, and as soon as he came to know the Lord, just the money he wasn't spending on booze anymore was a small fortune for him on a monthly basis. And that money then went someplace else, and I mean, he was, it was a prosperous... God cleans us up and He prospers us. But there has to be with that prosperity, there has to be that recognition in our lives that this, these seasons represent A special challenge to us staying faithful to the Lord. Because we get fat and sassy spiritually and we begin to think... I've got other options now than obeying God. I've got these things over here. I've got this blessing over here. I've got this position that he's opened up to me. I've got this person that I know that can pull strings over here. And we begin to depend upon other things than him. And we start to then think that because I've got all of this leverage that I can begin to then disobey him. And then it won't be able to bust through all of this. God's judgment won't come upon me through all of this. All, all of that. And so my prosperity then puts me on that track. We have to be careful of that. And I suppose most of us recognize it in our lives. I certainly do. In the seasons of, of blessing like that. And the whole Christian life is a season of blessing. But in those kind of periods where you can begin to think, well, you know, maybe in this and that. And to realize, no, that's, that's the devil getting ready to sucker punch us every. Single time. And so the importance of this You to say, well, why in the world would God prosper us then? Why doesn't he just keep us destitute if that's the condition that keeps us closest to him, at least for uh, in the Old Testament and in, in terms of what we are as fallen man? Why doesn't he just why does he prosper us at all and create that challenge? Because God knows But it is a greater challenge in many respects to walk with Him once He has blessed us in this way. But He blesses us anyway because it gives us the opportunity to follow Him even in that season. And then to honor Him in that way. To say, God, no, my security is not in these things. No, I will not use your blessings against you. I choose to walk with you even in this season. And it's just another way that he gives us in order to bless him and to honor him before the whole angelic realm that watches all of it. And so it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed. Against the Lord, so this is God's judgment against the Southern Kingdom of Judah because of their willful disobedience. And he came with twelve hundred chariots, sixty thousand horsemen to go with those uh, associated with the chariots, and people without number who came with him out of Egypt. That's the size of the army of the Lubim and the uh, these guys and the Ethiopians. So he's got all of the allies, this invading force that's coming in. And then Shishak with his allies, they took the fortified cities of Judah and they came to Jerusalem. So all this work that he'd gone into fortifying the defenses of the city, uh, material and physically, uh, the the king of Egypt comes in and just takes them like nothing. Because the greatest protection in our life is not our material things. The greatest protection safeguard against evil in life is to obey the Lord and to walk with the Lord. Rehoboam would have done a lot better if he had, instead of spending all that time to fortify those cities, if he had spent that time fortifying his relationship with the Lord and the nation of Israel. God is our defense, not all of these other things. And again, this is a lesson that's easy for us to forget. Say, I'm safe because I've got all of this leverage that I've built into my life. And so I can begin to creep into disobedience and all of that leverage can be gone in a half hour. It, it, is, it is a life of holiness and obedience that keeps us From this kind of judgment and this kind of of an attack. This was the judgment of the Lord. And then uh, Shimei, the prophet, came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem. Because of Shishak, and he said to them, "Thus says the Lord: You have forsaken me, and therefore I also have left you to the hand of Shishak." So he just said, lets them know, gentlemen, uh, this attack has been successful against you. Not because of military might. It's not about armies and weapons and who has the AK-47s and the this and that and the, and, and all. What what's happening here is my doing. They, you have been defeated, not because you're up against a certain military, but because I am up against you. And so I've left you to the hand of Shishak. And so the leaders of Israel and the king, to their credit, they humbled themselves and they said, the Lord is righteous. We deserve every bit of this. He's right in what it is that he's done. And the Lord is so good. He's just looking for a chance. He just looks for a little glimmer of, of a way to just bless And to turn a situation around a little bit. And he got a little bit from them. And so when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to the prophet again saying, They have humbled themselves and therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. And so Shishak had invaded Judah, taken all of the fortified cities, come right to Uh, The walls and the gates of Jerusalem and God said, all right, I will stop them here. They will plunder Jerusalem, but they will not destroy the city and they will not destroy the population of the city. But he said, nevertheless, they will be his servants. I will allow the children of Israel to come under a, a place of servitude to Egypt for this reason that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. And so God says, I'm going to allow them, and it was apparently a short period of time under Rehoboam, to come to a place of servitude underneath Egypt and Shishak uh, in order to allow the children of Israel to get a taste. And basically God's saying this, you think it's so bad to walk with me? Think it's so terrible? Think it's such a crummy life? Think it's such bondage? Well, then I'll let you become a servant to the Egyptians. And then after a little while, let's talk about which life is the better life. And and so that's and that sometimes that's just the lesson that God gives us. He says, all right, you want to do that? You think it's so great? Egypt's a picture of the world. Think the world's so great. You want to come into bondage to the world? I'll let you go ahead and do that. It's its own cure. And you'll discover that walking with me is the greatest thing that a person can do. And it is a great cure. I I think I think of Dylan when he was doing his Christian albums. And uh, he uh, he he wrote some very, very good music during that period. Um, His old time fans didn't care for the concerts and that particular part of Dylan's life. They were booing him when he was singing all of his Christian songs, but. He did have a lyric in there on one of his songs that said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. I'll spare you my Bob Dylan impersonation. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And he's really he was really quoting out of Romans chapter six that talks about the fact that we are a servant to the one that we present ourselves to. And so God says, all right, you don't want to present yourself to me. Then I will make you a servant to the Egyptians and uh, you'll be back. <laughs> and again, that's something that all of us have experienced on one level or another, if for five minutes or ten seconds, or for ten years. And so, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up to Jerusalem against Jerusalem, and he took away all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. And then it's almost like, just for emphasis, he took everything. Wow. Excuse me just for a moment. (laughs) All that gold we read about. All of that in the temple, all of those furnishings, all that wealth in the storehouses. And that's just the raiding of the temple, not even talking about the palaces and the whole city of Jerusalem. Remember when we talked about the tons and tons and tons and tens and tens and tens of tons of gold alone that went into all of that? And this guy comes along and he strips it away. Less than one generation after it had been built. It had only existed as God intended it to exist and as it would have if they had walked obediently to him. All of that was gone. All done by Solomon. Solomon. But because of his idolatry that he introduced into the land and then his son not walking with the Lord, all of that was lost. I mean, virtually overnight. I mean, just absolutely staggering that all of it was taken away. And he also carried away the gold. The Bible. It's funny what God wants us to know. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. So all these gold shields that he had put up for decoration in the palaces. And then King Rehoboam, in order to deal with all of this, the, he's seems like he couldn't do much about the rest of it, but he's got to do something about all these gold shields. All the walls look bare. So he made bronze shields in their place. And he committed them into the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And that's exactly what sin does. It lowers us from a gold quality of life. That's the life, the gold standard. That's the life God has for us. And it reduces us to a bronze level of life. Bronze is is a the, the symbol of judgment in the Scriptures. And that's exactly what happened. It went from the one to the other. And it all hinged on just simple obedience to the Lord. And it happened fast. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring these shields out. And then they would take them back into the guard room. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely. And things also went well in Judah. So God judged them. There was some humility on the part of the king. And so the Lord poured out some grace so that Judah uh, stabilized after this traumatic event. And thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem. And he reigned. Jeroboam was 41 years old when he became king. So this wasn't a kid that was like getting the counsel from the older men and the younger men. He's 41 years old. Uh, You ought to know something by 41 years of age, even if you've been protected from real life your whole life. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. So he dies at 58 years of age. And the city which the Lord had chosen out of all of the tribes, uh, uh, Jerusalem being the city which the Lord had chosen out of all of the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was uh, Naamah the Ammonitis, which uh, the Ammonites were an idolatrous people. And uh, and so his Solomon had married a lot of these kind of women. And so maybe his life and what he was was a. A part of uh, a reflection of the idolatry he was raised in around his mother. And then here's the encapsulation of his life. Verse 14. And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. God had it was a life that had as much potential as anybody else's life, as much potential as David's life had. But he did not reach that potential because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. He didn't choose to follow the Lord, and so that's the where he ends up. You know, our lives. Again, we've mentioned it before, but our lives will not be terribly complicated for God to uh, sum up. You know, it's either he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and this happened, or he or she did that was evil in the sight of the Lord, and this was the consequences. And no life that does not ultimately hear, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant," enter into the joy of the Lord can be considered a life that has been successfully spent. That's the assessment we want to hear from the Lord. That assessment is found on the other side of just a simple life of obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit and a love relationship with the Lord as as, uh, God gives us that ability. He gives us the will to do, the power to do of His good pleasure. And our lives receive both of those things on a moment-by-moment basis. The acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book of uh, Shemaiah, the prophet, and of Edo, the seer, concerning uh, genealogy? So in the ancient world, there was further writings recording uh, his reign. Again, not inspired scripture. God doesn't uh, keep them or, uh, for our purposes, again, because they had nothing to add to Anything that we needed to know more about Rehoboam to understand the lessons of his life. That's found in this second Chronicles. And so there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. There was a conflict, no out and out invasion kind of wars, just border skirmishes all of the length of their reign. And so Jeroboam rested with his fathers. He was buried in the city of David and then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. And we'll pick it up, Lord willing, in chapter 13 next week. And head into the reign of Abijah. And so there we have uh, the reign of uh, Rehoboam. So many good lessons to just for the rest of our life as we read the first Kings and we read the second section of Second Chronicles. And to just say, uh, Lord, I want to remember all of the important lessons related to this man's life because I do not want to follow his example or have the end that he had. So good things to be sown into our lives. Once again, I wish that everything that we learned in life was from watching something be done well or always being perfect ourselves, but that's not the way that it is. We learn from our own mistakes, our own failures, and then always valuable to learn from the failures of others, especially as they're described for us so perfectly in the Scriptures. And so if the worship team would come forward right now, Give a little bit of a chance to just allow the Holy Spirit to receive, uh, 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 to inhabit our praises and and for uh, it to all be a sweet incense lifted up to the Lord tonight as we close out the Sunday evening.